Hey team, it's Matt Drinkon here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast today. I'm Matt Drink on your host and coach. Team, I want to thank all of you for listening. I haven't done it yet in 21 episodes that have been recorded thus far. Uh, it is amazing the response I'm getting. So thank all of you, each and every one of you who are listening. Much appreciated. We're co-creating something special here. We are a community of listeners who want to be better, who want to do better, who want to achieve more, make our setbacks turn into our comebacks quicker and with more umph. We are operationalizing optimism here today, my friends. So buckle up and let the system grow and evolve around you. If you're having a hard time and it's tough to break through a challenge, then listen up because today we're going to break through several challenges together. My guest today is Mr. Michael Dietrich Chastain. He's the founder of Arc Integrated, a leadership development consultancy serving teams and leaders around the globe. He's widely regarded by the various CEOs and leaders he's worked with as a go-to resource for helping transform company cultures in which he works. He's been featured in Time, Money, Entrepreneur, The Washington Post, and he's got a couple of books out. Uh, one of them we're going to go into detail today. He's an amazing human being, and, and we talk about several things today that will grab your attention, including how we create really great cultures between teams and leaders, how overcoming the challenge of aging is something all of us are facing, and some strategies around it. And he is an expert on creating feedback loops. So we talk about ways to create feedback loops to optimize our lives. Without any further ado, I believe you're going to love this conversation. So let's dive right in with Mr. Michael Dietrich Chastain. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. And with that, I would love to introduce my friend, Mr. Michael Dietrich Chastain to the podcast of Michael. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Matt. It's good to be here with you, man. It is an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed our discussions in the exchange community. I've enjoyed, enjoyed our discussion a few minutes before as we got started. I feel really comfortable and just easy to talk to you. So I think this is going to flow pretty, pretty smooth today, man. I wonder, has it always been easy for you to just to talk with people? Hmm. Well, I would say when I look back on like my, my, <laughs> my childhood, which I, which when you ask, has it always been easy? My mind goes to, well, I was looking back at the various parts of my life. And I remember as a kid, 
getting, you know, the, the markups on the report card and getting in trouble for being like the, the social person in the room, like not focusing on the work, focusing on connecting with others, which of course in a classroom is super disruptive if you're a little person. So I consistently got in trouble for that. And so has it always been easy to talk to people? I guess for better, for worse, I suppose that's some, there's some truth to that. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember when I first met you in exchange and I saw you speaking at my very first OXE training in exchange last year, I, I remember that, yeah, this guy's pretty cool. It was easy going. It's easy to talk with you. And every time that we've been in touch, you've been, it's just been a world-class experience yeah, you know, it's been it's been easy. It's been smooth and comfortable. You know, and and I wonder for someone that makes it look easy on the surface in connecting with people, I wonder kind of the origin story of you know how Michael Dietrich Chastain came to be. So if you could share with us what are what are a couple things in your origin story that our listeners should know about you? Well, I've, I mean, I've always been really fascinated with connection and self-awareness and the, the, the development of the individual. And I think part of that probably comes from, you know, growing up, I came from a, a, a family that mental health and therapy and personal development was, was very normalized for various reasons. My father was a therapist for many years and an educator and eventually a professor in the world of psychology and addictions treatment. And so the, the conversations about the, the psychology in general were commonplace. You know, and on a, on a sadder note, I, I have a lot of family members that are recovering addicts and, you know, recovering from various mental health issues. And so the, the treatment of mental health issues as was also normalized in the sense that people have trouble and they, they go get support and hopefully they get better. And so I think because of that normalization, my curiosity about the human condition was sparked early. And so in undergrad, you know, I studied psychology as a major and as well as Spanish. And when I was in undergrad, I had an interest in what's called industrial organizational psychology, which is essentially for folks that don't, folks that don't know, it's the, you know, it's the idea of going into a, an organization and, and understanding what are the processes, the systems, the human dynamics within that business that help make it flourish. And when I was an undergrad, did studied that with emphasis and then did the internships and practicums as best I could. I went to a relatively small school in kind of a small area in, in northwestern Wisconsin called University of Wisconsin La Crosse, and which was awesome. I loved it. But they, you know, for as far as internships go, it was, it was in the in a very rural area. So there weren't, weren't a lot of IO psych internships, but we found one that was reasonable and and then out of school I worked as a as a consultant for a company out of Milwaukee, doing some more corporate work. And it was great. It was, it was a cool exposure to leading employees and helping our clients at that time where other companies staff their employees. And it was a lot of management of employee-employer conflict and employer-employer communication issues. And it was fascinating. And ultimately, what that led to was wanting to take a, a further dive into the human condition. And so the plan was to go back and get a master's or PhD in industrial organizational psych. But instead, I went back out a master's in counseling because I thought it would be interesting to work with folks in a, in a deeper way after getting some exposure to corporate. Michael, if we can just pause for one second here, because you just had a, several dots that 
are fascinating to me. Sure. So yeah, you, yeah. you ended up going to get the master's to be able to serve people. Mm-hmm. And you grew up and, and you had a father who was a therapist. So yeah. I'm wondering what influence your father had and what's it like growing up with a dad as a therapist, seeing as how you've, you've chosen your life's passion, your life's work. What's that like growing up with a dad as a therapist? Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it was great. You know, we, we were very close growing up and we still are. He actually... He was in the Midwest for a long time, and that's where I grew up. I'm in Asheville, North Carolina now. And he actually recently just moved down here to a small town 40 minutes away. And it's actually the first time him and I have been geographically this close in a long time. And so even though we have a very close relationship and have most of my life, geographically, we haven't been very close very close. He's, we've always lived, you know, further apart and we'd get, you know, get weekends together, we'd get summers or we'd go on trips together, whatever. And so, so anyway, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing now, uh, having him around and which is awesome. And so we had dinner last night actually. And my girlfriend and I are going on a vacation today and, you know, he's house sitting for us. And so it's, it's an interesting time to like, you know, have him as a member of the community, which is, which is a little different. So yeah. So yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah. Well, I wonder, because I think that at one point I had a, a strong, very strong relationship with my dad. And then in my rebellious, straight out of college, you know, entrepreneurial zeal years, maybe we butted heads. And then we came back together and had some really good times before he passed. You know, And I think about kind of the where, where things go with relatives and loved ones. And it sounds like you've had a strong relationship for most of your life with your father. And I wonder... What are some of the the reasons why or the the pillars that have helped to build and maintain the strong relationship with your dad? Well, I think, you know, I, interestingly, to, to circle back to the, the, the realm of psychology, I think that common interest for us has always been a, a, a way to bond, you know, talking about how people develop, how people create change, how people manage challenge in their life, the complexities of mental health, even though he is in the world of uh, his, his specialization is around addictions and grief. And, you know, obviously mine is now on the, the story continues beyond the mental health world and last like 10 years has been more back, back in corporate and doing leadership and team development work. And so, you know, my emphasis is always around how do we create a really great culture for a company, focusing on the performance of the team and the leaders. And so even though our our tracks, you could say, have gone in different directions, there's a lot of common threads between what it necessitates to create a really healthy, you know, business system of people and what it what it necessitates to create a really healthy person or relationship or a couple or family. And so anyway, so a lot of those common threads, I've, I think, have been a, a bonding source for us. Well, I see that. And, and you mentioned the other side of the coin. When we began the conversation, you talked about you've, you've been around some people that are in recovery who are addicted to something or rather. And, and I'm wondering, being around people who are in recovery, you know, what is it that we might be able to do to support them, to understand them, to be able to serve them in a way that helps them on their journey? wherever they might be. Any, any feedback there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the, one of the common challenges I've seen, and I've certainly fell victim to this as well, is wanting to give as much like resource to someone that's actively in addiction or actively, you know, battling, you know, recovery. And I think, even though that may be our common inclination, right, is to help and support, to give whatever that means. It might be give, give money, give housing, give 
support to. Oftentimes what I've seen both in my experience as a clinician, as well as in my own family is the stronger loving boundaries we can create with those that are actively in addiction that largely leads to greater and faster recovery than just giving resource. So if I would, you know, if I was to say one thing that, that you could do would be set loving boundaries with those that are battling some kind of addiction. Yeah. What might be an example of a, of a loving boundary that we might be able to set with someone that we care about? Yeah. Yeah. So if someone is, and just, I'll just kind of make up a scenario. If someone is out of a job, they're actively using and they want money it might be a loving boundary it might be, Hey, I can't give you money, but I'd love to sit down with you and help you work on your resume so we can get you a job. You know, it's the old, the old adage of like, teach a person to fish, right? You're not just giving the person fish, you're giving them resources so that they can take care of themselves. I think that's a way to create, create boundaries and create autonomy for that person and allow them to feel the consequence of their own choices for better, for worse. Interestingly, that's a, there's, there's a real great common path within the context of leadership. You know, leadership often necessitates really strong, loving boundaries, right? And I would say, I'm not a parent, but, but Matt, I know you are. I, w- I would venture to guess that there's some common threads in parenting with that same philosophy. Is that a fair? Is that a fair? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And it happened this morning at the breakfast table yeah. uh, where one of our young daughters came downstairs and she was crying because there was something in her diaper and she wanted me to change it. And we kind of have a rule that I will help them change their diapers. I will help them do just about anything. But when I'm cooking breakfast, I'm not going to stop cooking breakfast to go and do that. If they need my help at that moment, they need to come downstairs and I will do that for them in the bathroom when I'm done distributing the breakfast. So I really needed her to wait just a couple of minutes for me to finish on the griddle. And she was upset about it, right? And I'm not going to stop delivering the food for everyone else, leave the hot grill on and then go change diaper. That's a small, simple, not the most meaningful or relevant example, but it's a small example of you know trying to set that, that expectation that I would love to help. And I've got to put my own oxygen mask on first. I got to finish this before I can drop everything exactly. and come in and do that. Exactly. Yeah. And we see, it's so funny. We see the same kinds of things in, in working with leaders so often around putting very clear boundaries around here's, here's the good thing that happens to you as an employee. If you perform in a certain way, here's the opportunities, here's the future, here's the vision. And here's what happens when you don't go down that path, right? Here's what that looks like. And then, and then it's, your choice as an employee, right? You get to you get to be the master of your destiny, so to speak. Well, I'm I, I'm really curious, so I'm going to scratch the itch. You made a statement earlier. How do we create a really great culture uh, with team and leaders? And that might be part of your your coaching practice. And I would like to ask you to, to share an example, and I'm going to share an example of this because I feel this is something that our our listeners could probably really get behind and understand because we're all seeing this all the time. The people that I coach, one of the big challenges is it's in that culture of one, work as hard as you possibly can, push yourself to the limit. And if it goes over time, then we've got to do what we've got to do. And how do you get that person out of you know, the, the way of being the logjam? Here's the example I'm thinking of. I've just got off the phone with a very high performing leader just before we started the podcast. 
and the person's got more business coming in than they know what to do with. And they've got a couple of conflicting inner values. One of them is to feel and care and love all the people that they serve. And the other one is grow and scale the business. All right. So they've got these two these two values, and they're deeply committed to those. And you factor on top of that a sprinkle of recovering perfectionist, and you have someone that closes every bit of business they can because they want to serve people. And then once they get them all in, they have trouble setting the boundaries for their calendar for what they're going to do from there. You know, so I, I think about that challenge, and that's one that I see in leaders all the time. And I wonder how might we start to coach, to work with, to help that particular person in leading by example in yeah. their organization. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me. There's a. There's a. Sometimes when I'll do a talk on leadership, I'll start with this with this slide, and it'll say something to the effect of, you know, that the species that will survive the longest. It's not the smartest. It's not the strongest. It's the one with the most what, and there's a blank. And then I'll ask the crowd, like, well, what, what is the most what when people guess? Do you want to take a guess, Matt, at what it is? Uh, it's two, most two words. Realistic boundaries? I don't know. <laughs> Good guess. Man, Good guess. put me on the spot. Yeah, yeah, put me on the spot. That's right. It's, it's, it's feedback loops. Ah, nice. The species that with the most feedback loops is the most adaptable and arguably survive the longest. And so I bring that up because what's what's so interesting about that as it relates to leadership development, we find that that's one of the one of the best practices that can both build the quality and the, the effectiveness of the individual as well as the quality and effectiveness of the culture, right? The more feedback loops we can put in in ourself and the more feedback loops we can institute across a culture, right? The more it becomes a learning organization, the more it becomes able to iterate and change over time. And so to connect this to your, to the client you mentioned, what's cool about what you described is that the fact that this person is working with you is a feedback loop, right? They're able to get feedback from you about, so you're taking in all this business and you're not able to fulfill, you're creating a log jam. You're able to to hopefully provide like, you know, some insight for them on that and to help them talk through like, how is that working for you? What might need to change? Where's the boundary you need to put in? Where's the delegation you might need to distribute? You know, what's the system you need to put into place, right? So they're instituting a feedback loop through the work they're doing with you. And so, you know, to back to your question about what, what can we do, what leaders and, and, and cultures can do, one of my answers, and there would be many, but one of them would be the institution of more feedback loops. When you said this, part of my internal started to flare up a little bit when you said they're probably getting help from you. on. I'm like, no, they're, they're getting a lot of help from me on this. Oh, We're yeah, solving yeah. deaths. Yes, yeah, there you uh, go. Yeah. Maybe I had, an, I, I had an internal ego jump up there. I love it. Uh, they're absolutely getting a ton of help from you. <laughs> yes, good, good response. <laughs> I, I love you. I love this idea of feedback loops. When you mention the word feedback loop, I instantly go to Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit, and go back to that cue, routine, reward concept. Yeah. And, and I also go back and I think about, you have a book. I'm holding it right here for those of us who can see on the YouTube version. It's called Changes. And you know, Busy Professional's Guide to Reducing Stress, Accomplishing Your Goals, and Mastering Adaptability. And I wonder, inside of your book here, there, there's mentions of feedback. Can you talk a little bit about 
some of the the things in here that we might be able to apply in our professional worlds, Michael. Yeah, yeah. So, so my my theory that I propose in that book is that there are seven aspects of our lived experience that both drive our ability to create change, professional, personal, as well as respond to it. So it's bi-directional and that those seven pillars exist, exist bi-directionally, meaning that they influence our ability to respond to it and they influence our ability to create it. And so within each of those, there are exercises within the book, and I could jump into some of these if you'd like, around how to create some feedback loops within each of those. So as an example, one of the pillars is cognition, which is all about how we think. You know, the processes that we that we tend to embrace, you know, are we more abundant oriented in our thinking? Are we possibility? Are we, we possibilitarians? <laughs> are we possibility a future focused? Right. Or are we deficit oriented? Right. Are we thinking about what can't work or how, you know, we're awfulizing things? And, you know, a lot of the a lot of the research, and I certainly don't need to tell you this, given the given the title of your podcast that our optimism and putting our sights on what's possible and what we want, all the research points to the fact that when we do that, we're able to create and respond to change more effectively. Part of the way to evaluate or one way to evaluate what is our thinking style, where does our cognition tend to lean, could be through instituting feedback loops, right? If we're a leader, that could be asking you know, our employees some key questions around how they observe our thinking processes. You know, if we're in a partnership, perhaps they're in our business partner, we could ask them. If we're in a relationship with a loved one, right, we can ask our loved ones. Ideally, here's, here's my belief, Matt. Ideally, when we're, when we're looking for feedback, we're cross-sectioning it, meaning we're, if we're trying to improve a particular quality of our life, my argument would be we want to get feedback from people that experience us in a diverse way, meaning that, you know, your wife might experience you a little differently than your business partner, a little differently than your, than your bowling partner, a little differently than someone that is your employee. But if you really want to understand a quality of your personhood, you know, get a diverse spectrum of feedback from all of those relationships. And you've, you've taken me down into the, the rabbit hole and I love it. And, and I think that this whole concept of feedback, feedback loops, incredibly powerful. I want to share with you something that, that you just brought up in me again. You've, you brought up so much so far today. One of the things you brought up is you said, you have to tell me about optimism. And, and I want to say one thing about that is that I, I want to, I want to gain as much as we give our audience, I want to gain from the people that I'm connecting with, such as yourself, because I've already learned so much in our call. And when when we talk about, uh, I I feel I know eternal optimism pretty well. But I am so open to hearing anything else. And the feedback that I have is kind of an internal feedback loop is that anytime I'm on a conversation with anyone, whether it's podcast or just every day, you know, to me, the feedback loop is this. In my mind, what might I learn from this person? Okay, go a step further. In my miracle morning every morning when I'm journaling, I'll look back and I will ask myself of the conversations I had yesterday, what are the top three insights I took away from that, the nuggets of wisdom? And I'll ask, how's it showing up in my life? I learned this from the Finding Mastery with Michael Gervais podcast when he interviewed that man who ran that company, Hurley. I forget his first name, but his last name was Hurley. Okay, okay. <laughs> he sold it for a big amount. But in any event, the idea of, I don't think anyone has a monopoly on an idea 
or if it's if it's optimism, I may be an expert or maybe someone who's who's versed in it. But I am so open to learning from other experts or other diverse perspectives. Totally. So totally. It's an internal feedback loop for me to take this conversation, pull out the essence of it, study it the next morning, and try to retain it and ask how I might I use it to my advantage. Love it. Yeah. And Matt, that's such a beautiful example of like a, like a, a style, right? A, a way that, that your particular cognition works. And it's like you just described how you operationalize your optimism, right? Which is so awesome. Like you're, you've described how you're a constant learner, even though you have some mastery over a subject, you're, you're constantly seeking learning and you see the opportunity to consistently learn more. Like what a, what a beautiful way to describe a really strong, healthy cognition. I, I appreciate that. And I'm going to tee you up with a question and give you a moment to think about it. I'm going to ask you with this idea of operationalizing optimism, I'm going to ask you how you might do that in your own world or how you might have your own internal feedback loops that help you to learn and grow, Michael. I'll start with a story, though, in real time, real life. This just happened to me on Monday, two days ago. We're recording this on Wednesday, the 30th of, of June, 2022. Uh, on Monday, I played in the Charlotte City Amateur Golf Championship qualifier, and I am 0 for 2 in qualifying for the City Amateur Championship in the past uh, three years, 0 for 2. So this is my third time, looking forward to uh, giving my best shot. And I go out there, and I'm, I'm a pretty competitive golfer, pretty good golfer. I go out there, and uh, we're, at, we're at even par after three holes, and I have a triple bogey. For those of you who pay attention to golf, triple bogey is not good. Good golfers don't have that in tournaments very much. So have this triple bogey. And here's, here's the point of the story. The feedback loop at that moment is that when I find myself out of sorts with myself, whether I'm frustrated, angry, impatient, and I can catch myself, have the awareness to catch myself in an emotional state that is suboptimal. I ask myself the question of how might I use this moment as a great teacher? How might I turn this challenging moment into something I can use for my advantage? What is this moment here to teach me? So as I'm going through this on the trip to the next tee box on the fifth hole, I realize I've not ever been in a place where I just had a triple bogey and then I've come back to qualify or win a golf tournament before. So I got really curious as to how is math going to show up right now in this place where I just had a poor performance on this one hole. You know, and that is my own internal feedback loop. When I catch myself off in any way, I ask, what is this moment here to teach me? How might I convert this challenge into my advantage, right? And try to get really curious. So that's when you say feedback loop, this is my own internal version of what I think you're saying this is how it, it manifests in my life in that way. So having said that, I'm curious what type of internal feedback loops you might have to continue your own learning or yeah, just lo love to hear your thought on that. Yeah. So a, a, a couple of things, two, two different stories come to mind and I'd love to, I'd love to tell them both because I think they're, they're, they're both it may be interesting. I, I got to say, so awesome about the golf. Did you end up qualifying? Hell yeah. yes, baby. We sure yeah. did. We brought it back, had some birdies, yeah. and we brought it back and qualified. So we're in the, we're in the, we're in the championship, love baby, it. in 60 love days. Love it, man. Well, congrats. And I would love to play golf with you sometime. I, I think we're, we're, our listeners might not know this. We're relatively close, both in North Carolina. And uh, I'm definitely more mm -hmm. of the double, triple bogey guy. But uh, I'll, I'll, we'll play around and I'll, I'll boost your ego a little bit. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I can appreciate <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah, golf is <laughs> such a great game, and it's such a like what you described is such a great example of in in so many ventures. It's our psychology that drives the result, right? Like like your example is such a good one, and you see this all the time watching watching golf, right? Someone has a bad shot or a bad couple holes, and they just deteriorate. You know, you can you can make the argument that a lot of that is their is their psychological game. And so you were able to, you know, kind of get over that and, and move on and, and, and win. And so just, yeah, kudos to you, man. That's a cool story. It wasn't without being in a lot of a mental, emotional, just, I was just cussing inside my head. I, I was upset. I was, I was on tilt for a moment and just having that way of catching yourself, being aware of it and then finding a way to be curious. That's the, that's the big part for me that I hope our listeners take away yeah, from it. Yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. So, so for for you know feedback loose for me, one of the things I I know about myself is that if I get into a, a a negative state, right? Like I'm feeling down, I'm feeling you know depressed or upset or irritable or whatever, I can usually associate that with a decrease in the amount of movement I've had. And so, so I've, I've studied martial arts for most of my life and, and have been a, a more serious martial artist in the last, gosh, 15 years or so. And so it's been a real regular practice for me. And so in addition to that, I'm athletic. Like I enjoy, enjoy things like golf and, you know, racquetball and lifting weights and hiking. And so activity, physical activity is a big thing for me. And, and my favorite practice is martial arts. So I, I know that that is often a cue for me. Like if I, I can usually draw the line right between feeling bad and having less activity. And so for me, that's the loop. So it's like, okay, let me, let me kind of pause my thinking and my feeling, get some activity in and then reevaluate. And usually what will happen is I may not be feeling 100% better, but I'm feeling better enough to Im- influence my thinking in a positive way. What's an example recently where you've been, you caught yourself feeling a little down or whatnot, <laughs> and you you did this? So my yeah, my 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 girlfriend's good about this. So we live we live in an, in a neighborhood in Asheville that's at the bottom of a of a really beautiful. It's a tiny mountain, but it's you know a, a, a mountain you can hike up. And so if I get home and she, and she knows this about me, this relationship between attitude and, and physical work, physical activity. So she say, let's, let's, let's go, let's do the loop. She'll say, right. Cause it's a, it's a loop that we do up this mountain and I'll complain about going and then I'll go and we'll do it. And then it, it will get to the bottom back of the house a couple miles later and I'll, I'll be in a better mood. I'll feel better. So that just happened this week where I kind of drug my heels and finally she's like, sure you don't want to go with. And I, changed quick and ran up there with her. And it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful walk. And I, and I enjoy it once I'm after it, but uh, yeah, <laughs> sometimes requires some encouragement, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing that women have this innate sense to be able to uh, be, be the radar yeah. and see when we might be down and uh, ask the questions that can help us pick back up. So I'm, I'm glad that you got to shout yeah, her yeah, out today. She, yeah, she's uh, great. She's great. <laughs> so, so that's one feedback loop is this connection to movement. But the, but another one that I'd like to bring up, because I think both of these examples can be super relevant for a large portion of our listeners here because I think there are commonalities in our human experience. So the second one is connection to nature. And so I was just I just had this epic trip out to Salt Lake City. We we're out there for my girlfriend's work. We did a conference, but then the second half of the trip, 
we drove down into Southern Utah and did all sorts of exploring to the national parks down there. Have you ever been to that part of the country, Matt? Yes. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. yeah it's, it's spectacular. I mean, it's just, I've been there a handful of times, but not, hadn't explored a, a few of the parks that we went to. So we went to Zion, we went to Canyonlands, went to Monument Valley and, and a number of these places, there was no cell service. So, you know, in, in the midst of our driving, we put on a lot of miles in the midst of our hiking, there's no like, well, let me see what's going on on Instagram or let me, let me check my email real quick. Cause there's just no cell service. And I had the, the realization or the, or I should say the remembrance when I was out there and I've been thinking a lot about it since that it is so helpful to be enabled to connect with technology. It's so helpful to, or at least for me to have a forced disconnect and to just be in, in nature's beauty and just be able to be there with people that you love and be able to just, just take it in and not have the option of being distracted by email, by social media, by phone or text or whatever. And so anyway, so I, I bring that up as again, a remembrance for me that when thinking is not so good or when mood or, you know, I'm feeling bad connecting to nature, hopefully without technology is a great loop to help disrupt a negative feeling. And, and again, I think, I think nature has that power for most, most humans, you know, like I would, I would say, I would say that's, that's the case for everybody. Like there's something that will happen if we disconnect from tech and immerse ourselves in nature. And so, so anyway, just wanted to bring that up. That was the other example of a feedback loop that came to mind. Love the story. I completely agree as an eternal optimist, completely agree that the idea of if you're down, if you're facing a challenge, a strategy that may lead to the solution, a strategy that may get you into the right mental place to, to then lead to the solution, KA, any kind of movement, exercise, just movement, number one. Number two is, is connecting in nature somehow. Something I learned in the exchange community that I heard Berghoff say one time, he talked about every day he likes to go outside and put his feet in the grass and like touch the earth. And in, in studying this concept of how some type of energy, I want to say ionization or some type of energy happens. Yeah, negative ions. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you, yeah. You're, you're aware of this. Yeah. So I, I've been doing this every day going outside and putting my feet on the ground, like on the literal grass every day. And for some reason, I don't know why it's hard to explain. I just feel a little bit better. Totally, man. Yeah. There's some, there's some interesting literature for people that want to take a deeper dive into that. If you read about Qigong, which is a meditative practice in, in Eastern martial arts, sometimes connected to martial arts. Sometimes it's just an independent meditation practice, right? Like yoga is a meditation or seated meditation. Qigong is often posture, like a standing posture or a slow movement. And it's often recommended to be done outside, right? Feet on the grass. And sometimes I recommend it to be done near moving water. And for, for, again, for folks that want to take a, a deeper dive, encourage you all to read up on that and its connection to the negative ions in the environment. I'm going to put that sure. uh, in the show notes, uh, a link in there somewhere. If you have anything specific sure. you'd like to put yeah. in there, uh, please send it over because I love that idea. I've not ever oh, heard okay. of this yeah. before, of the word qigong. So I, I'm very curious about that uh, as a way to enhance. And as you said earlier, and I'm always going to remember this part of our discussion, operationalizing optimism. And one way might be to uh, be connected with nature 
in this form of Qigong. So I, I think that I've got my money's worth for a discussion just on that one little nugget that's going to send me into a rabbit hole. So I appreciate that uh, the nugget on Qigong. I'd love to ask you uh, a different question. This has been a different format than I may normally start the podcast. I normally start by asking, you know, what are some challenging things? And when I'm speaking with you, when I'm looking at you, and even when we started today, it's really easy to speak with you. It, it feels like this is someone who he's cool. He's, he's got something figured out. Maybe not everything, but he's got something figured out. So I wonder what's hard for you, Michael? What's really challenging yeah, for you? Yeah, gosh, a ton. I'll tell you personally, the thing that's been challenged recently is I've got these, um, you know, as I mentioned, I've been a, like a physical person most of my life and I'm, you know, I'm getting a little older and I've got these like nagging injuries that are just hard to, hard to deal with. And I, and I noticed them, you know, slowing me down and influencing my motivation. And uh, anyway, and I, and I think, you know, part of that is just a discovery of like how to manage and maybe part of that is, is getting older. And so, so that's, that's the first challenge that comes to mind. Cause that's been something that's been on my mind more regularly in the recent months. So I would say that. Yeah. How are you, how are you dealing with that? Kind of the the way I might frame it is the back in the day, athletic male, great shape, able to conquer everything, immortal, and now still working out in good shape and had an injury, you know, and it just nags, you know, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So, so, and I've dealt with a lot of injuries over the years. So usually what I try and do is, is depending on where it is, I'll figure out like, how can I, how can I alter my exercise to focus on an opposite part of the body, right? So for instance, that one of the injuries I'm dealing with now is I've got this internal, like severe elbow pain on both elbows. I think they call it golfer's elbow actually. And uh, so I've, you know, I really like lifting weights and that's really inhibited that. And so, you know, I'm doing a lot more walking. I'm doing a lot more, you know, martial arts movement, like forms and Tai Chi and Qigong. And I'm doing, I just actually took a, a mountain bike of mine, old mountain bike, and I got it tuned up and I'm about, I'm actually about to pick it up in a few days here after we get back from our trip. And I'm going to reinvest into biking, which was a previous passion from years ago. And so, so anyway, so looking for ways to like get a lot of movement in, challenge parts of the body that are not injured. And so, and that's often been the case. Like if it's a leg injury, I'll focus more on, you know, upper body sometimes, which is, which is hard for me. Sometimes it's just about rest, right? Just about, you know, not doing a lot of, you know, strenuous activity. That's, that's probably the hardest one for me. And certainly I've had to do a little bit of that recently. Yeah. I, I, I think of it very similar with, with, you know, having some back problems and, and, wanting to maintain my flexibility to, to compete in golf at a high level and being 45 years of age, knowing that, uh, you know, if you look at uh, pro golfers, they will many times hit their peak financially, at least in the, in the PGA tour in their early forties. Some of them will, will do it in their late thirties, but they're about reaching that time when their body starts to shift. And I wonder, you know, how, and this is a question for both of us. I'd love to hear both of us answer it. Uh, how are we dealing with, or learning to appreciate aging. If that's the challenge, how are we learning to appreciate that and deal with aging gracefully? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I'd love to hear your answer to this too. I, and I, we're about the same age. I'll be 41 next month. And, you know, I have, to be honest, I, I struggle with this, man, I, because I have mixed feelings about it. Like, I just listened to an interview or part of one the other day. Uh, you, maybe you heard it too. It was, it was, I think it was Jack Kornfield, inter- Tim Ferriss interviewing him. Did you hear that one? I've heard great reviews on it. I'm, I'm going to listen to it, but not yet. Yeah. Well, well, sure. I didn't listen to all of it, but the, the short snippet, you know, Jack is in his, I think he said he was 83 or something or 82 and still super active. And I, and I bring that up because there's a, there's a big part of me that believes and sees evidence for the fact that our ability to extend our life as humans and quality of life is far greater than I think people typically assume it to be. And so, so that's on the one hand, I hold that as a truth, like, gosh, you know, getting older. Yeah. Yeah. Getting older is, you know, things may change, but I can be healthy and feel a lot of vigor and energy, you know, well into my eighties, nineties, perhaps beyond a hundred. And I, and I combine that enthusiasm with the fact, Matt, that there's all these interesting emerging technologies that exist, which may help us to extend quality of life, you know, like, like STEM, STEM cell work and other, you know, I'm actually, I'm rereading this really interesting book. You might like it. It's by Tony Robbins and he collaborated with a number of doctors. Let me, let me pull it up real quick because it's really good. And it's all about, you said Tony Robbins and I'm all about Tony Robbins. So yeah, I hear that. It's all about the, the combination of what's happening in the medical space about you know emerging tech or emerging emerging medical procedure both preventative as well as testing as well as intervention so you combine that like fast evolution with the fast evolution of technology and you have this recipe for you know humans living not only longer but with way better quality than they previously have the book is called life force life force and it's really fast really fascinating so anyway, so I have that, I have all that kind of inner dialogue about what's possible on the one hand. And then on the other hand, I have, I have, I think what society presses largely, which is you get old, as you get older, you deteriorate. And I think we get that messaging from all sorts of places, from, you know, the commercials to people's uh, general challenges and and complaints about their own physical issues to what you see on the internet social media so i think we're bombarded with this with this alternative dialogue which is all about pain and challenge and deterioration so and then of course you know having my own challenges with health issues and injuries and stuff so all that to say my point is i I have a hard time weighing these two things. It's a long answer to your question. Like, you know, how do you deal with aging? I, those are, those are the two, those are two things that I hold kind of in, in my mind, but, but what about you? How do you think about it? Well, good question. I, I ask a couple thoughts. One is I control what I can and the things I cannot control, I've learned to be at peace with them. So the idea of aging, I'm at peace with the idea that I am mortal and at some point my life will end. And as a result of that, there's a specific moment I can trace this back to when I came to be at peace with the idea that I may be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. I may be disabled for the rest of my life. I came to that conclusion and peace after a lot of excruciating pain and after, after a period in life, which was the 
the hardest physically I've ever been through. And that was six years ago. And I came to be at peace with, you know, how might I put my best foot forward and be the best me, no matter who I am, whether I am still identifying as athlete or identifying as scholar, or identifying as parent, as optimist. So I'd say that the first thirst thought is being at peace with whatever's happening that I'm unable to control. You know, so being at peace is the first thought. The second thought, and I don't know if this is bold to say or if it sounds egotistical or arrogant, but here, here it goes anyways. If society says it, then I'm going to kind of raise a red flag in my head and think, I don't know if just because society says it, that I'm going to subscribe to it. And I say this without any judgment. I don't feel that I'm better than anyone. I do feel that you put 100 people on the starting line, that I'm going to finish most of the time in the top of that race some way, somehow. And that could be an attitude or in performance or in some way. I feel that I'm kind of an overachiever. And I think the, re the track record proves that. So having said that, I try to re remove ego from it. I would say that I want to optimize life and live as long as possible and live healthy as long as possible, not be the, the person that at 65 at their 50-year high school reunion is feeble or is, you know, like obese or is this. And again, no judgment towards those who who go and show up. They've they've chosen to live their life this way. And to the, what I can control, I am going to attempt to live my life this way. And you know what? If I drop that at 58 or at 45 of a, a coronary out of my control, then so be it. it. Didn't work. When I do fast and I do drink the water and I do get to sleep and I do exercise and I do work on all these mental things and and feedback loops and try to optimize or or create operational optimism in my life, right? When I do all these things, I would love to live this longer life. And just coming to terms and being at peace with that I am aging and I'm doing the best that I know how with the information that's in front of me to live this life the way I know how and just take advantage of it and love every moment of it. That's that's my answer to aging is be at peace with it and do my very best to Make sure I'm showing up so that I can live life the best that I can. Love it, man. Love right. it. Thank you for sharing so that. Normally, a question comes out and I can answer it in a 10,000 word essay when I you actually could sure. answer it in one <laughs> sentence. Just deal with it, Matt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So pardon the long wind. Uh, but that's no, that's great. Me too, man. I can I can do that as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's easy to say. It, it may be harder to do in practice when we are having an injury, when we are feeling in tough spot. And you know, a lot of us out there, they're they're listening. We probably are sometimes in tough spots. We do have injuries. We do have physical limitations. And you know, my advice to those people out there, to everyone, to you, and to myself, is to learn to be at peace in the moment with whoever we are and whatever we're in right now, and to figure out that if what I want most is to live a little bit longer or to be a little bit healthier or to have a little bit more flexibility, then what can I do daily right now to enhance that chance? What can I do? Yeah, love it. You know? Love it. Yeah, well said. Well said. Today's episode of the Eternal Optimist Podcast is sponsored by Bob Ross. Bob Ross. When you say that name, who doesn't smile and think about that giant afro that we all come to love on public television in the 80s and the wonderful mountains and the happy little accidents that happened? Bob Ross actually did not sponsor the podcast today. 
but I have a doll, a plush stuffed animal doll of Bob Ross that I keep in the office all the time. Every time I pull that up, it makes me smile. So I wanted to pay homage to this stuffed animal, Bob Ross the doll, because every time when you think of Bob Ross, it should make you smile. So here's really to smiling today and to getting that smile from Bob Ross, the sponsor for the Eternal Optimist podcast. So let's let's keep going. So we've we've talked yeah. about the challenge of aging. Yeah, right, that right. was random and <laughs> yeah. that was fun to do. Well, I'd love to go to, you know, what's what's something exciting in the world that you're a part of, that you're creating? Yeah, yeah. Well, and this is this is maybe an interesting the thing that comes to mind, there, there's an interesting segue between a challenge and what this what this exciting you know future is. And so so for our for our business, Arc Integrated is the name of our practice, and again, serving leaders and teams and cultures of organizations. It's it's a few years old, right? I started it in 2015, and at, this is this is a bit of a failure. Like I started it in offering organizational consulting work, executive coaching, and therapy, right? Because prior to that, for years, I had that therapy hat on, like I mentioned earlier, and realized quickly, not knowing much about how to venture into this world of entrepreneurialism, that I was I was offering too much. And so after the first couple of years of struggling, I dropped the hat of therapy and no longer practice, haven't practiced therapy since 2017. So going on five plus years now. And we rebranded and it was all about org development and, and executive coaching leadership work. And so since, so since then, we mostly, I have delivered on various contracts and I'll pull in consultants for the project, depending on the scope of the work that we have as, you know, subcontractors, but it's largely been me for the majority of the work. And so what I'm excited about to to answer your question is that we're building the team out this year. And it was an, an inspiring trajectory from last year being approached by another consulting company to say, Hey, we're you know, we're moving into retirement. Would you like to take, take over and merge? And that, that turned into a conversation about a, about a merger. And it was, it was very interesting, learned a ton over the course of about eight months. Long story short, we did not end up partnering. We, so we, we parted ways as, as friends and colleagues. And thankfully one of those folks from the other consultancy is now over at Arc Integrated and is going to be a supporter and leader of our, of our business. And so we have created a, a pool or a, a team of, of associates over the last, really since the beginning of the year. And the hope with that, Matt, is that, or the, the direction is to go after larger scale consulting contracts that would necessitate more of a team approach rather than one or two or three consultants. And so I'm really excited about building this community and having you know a diverse group, I'm excited about the people that are involved, and I'm excited about the nature of the work. And I and I say that with excitement and enthusiasm because I have been involved as part of a team for other consultancies, more complicated projects, but never been the vehicle in a, in a large scale way, and that have not yet been the vehicle to bring in you know, many, many people to deliver on organizational change needs. And so I'm excited to be able to be that vehicle, both to be able to serve our clients, as well as to be a, a place that these consultants and partners can also find community, which is funny, interesting, I should say, a lot of the interviews that I did with these folks that are joining us, that was one of the things that all of them said is that 
you know, they're, they've got their one person shops and they're doing good work with companies, but they want to attach themselves to a larger ship so that they can do work as a team, right? And they can collaborate and they can design together and they can, you know, solve problems together for the clients. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about our, about our future together. Awesome. Well, let's say just for example, that I, I lead a large organization. We have organizational challenges, the kind that you're used to hearing about, that you're used to working in. And let's say that we were to hire you and your team to come in and work with us. And let's say that our engagement over the course of a few years of working together, something amazing happens. What, what is it that happens that gets you excited, that would make me, the client, excited that we work together and some amazing vision or amazing transformation happens? What might that look like and feel like? Yeah, yeah. I, I can say ideally the thing that's most exciting to me is helping them institute systems and structures that allow, allow them to create their own kind of flywheel of development. So as an example, like one approach, right, is you come in and you do training on skills development for particular leaders. And I've done a lot of this, like, you know, gone in and, and helped, helped create, you know, a two-year, let's say, leadership development cohort program, and you send cohorts of leaders through it. And it's awesome, right? It has a great influence on the individual. It has a great, you know, influence on the, on the business as those skills and individual development spread throughout the culture. So that's one approach. Another approach that is is interesting is to help institute in their own system. Like let's call it like an internal coaching system, which I know you have a ton of familiarity with, right? Help them build out what might an internal coaching system look like that we could, you know, internally source our own coaches, have a process to run through with coaching our employees right? Have a process to certify them as, as coaches, let's say. And essentially back to the, what we started with, right? Like teach a person to fish. You're essentially creating a, a system, a flywheel system for them. So that the end of that two years, when you pull out of the contractor of the partnership, they're working, you know, on their own and they've, and they've got their own, own way of feeding themselves. That's really interesting to me. And, you know, that could look like a coaching program that could look like a co-created leadership development program that they are able to run themselves, right? That could look like a, a change management initiative that they figure out a way to run themselves. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways to, a lot of ways to operationalize this, but I, that's from a, from a philosophical standpoint, that's what excites me most is over the course of time, figuring out ways to give them tools that they can use on their own. Awesome. Thank you. I, I'd love to move to a couple last questions. One question for those out there that are going through a challenge, and I'll leave it a pretty open playing field so you can, you can pick a challenge if you like, or just in general, give, give some advice. Uh, I'd love to ask what might be your advice for someone out there who is going through a challenge and they're needing to feel hope, they're needing to feel that, man, I, I can't do this. And we want them to feel they can do it. So I always, I always come back to this idea and I come back to it for those that we work with and I come back to it for myself as well, which is where's the part of my life that needs integration? Where's the part of my life that needs, the, how, how can I create more wholeness in my life? And so back, back to the, the book, the changes book we talked about, you know, that, that idea of these seven pillars of our lived experience, you could say that each of those pillars is like a, a pie slice of the pie of our life, right? And there's, and there's other ways that people approach this, but I, 
I believe these seven pillars are, are, are really strong ones to consider. So if there is a challenge around something we're trying to create or deal with, I would invite people to consider which of these pie slices might need more attention. Is it the way that we're thinking? Is it our emotional aspect of our life? Is it the people, places, and things that we're surrounding ourselves with? Is it our courage? Is it our belief system? Is it our nourishment, how we're treating our body, our physical experience? Is it our habits and routines? You know, which, which one is it? Because the longer I'm alive, the stronger I believe this principle of it's the lack of integration that puts us out of sorts. And when we look at, again, which of these pie slices might need our attention, it's often that missing one or two that might help us bring awareness and hopefully some change. Let's say that it were courage. I needed to find, discover uh, some courage. What might be the first place to start if I'm struggling with that? There's, a, there's an exercise. Uh, well, so I, I believe in the principle of starting small and just biting a little bit off at a time, right? So when you think about, think about courage, right, You're, we're dealing with fear, so my, my question would be, what are, what are little ways in which people might experiment with challenging those fears that they have? So, you know, if the fear is public speaking, you know, maybe the next time you're in a social situation, talk to two strangers, right? If, the fear, if, the, if, you're, if you're single and you're dating, the fear is like, how am I going to meet somebody? Start going to talk to you know, some, some strangers challenge yourself to put yourself out there. Right. If the, if the fear is conflict, right. Maybe, maybe there's an opportunity to have a, a tiny difficult conversation. That's maybe just a little uncomfortable. Maybe you're not ready to have that big conversation with your, with your mean boss yet, but maybe there's a small conflict that you could experiment with. Right. If the fear is, you know, gosh, I, I really want to improve my physical condition and I don't know where to start. Maybe the way to challenge that is to start going for a walk, just a, just a walk, you know? So start, start, I believe in the, in the, in the principle of, of building, right? Small, small blocks at a time lead to larger blocks. And I think whenever it comes to behavior change, whether we're talking about, you know, fear or we're talking about our physical experience or we're talking about our emotional experience, whatever it is, I think we can always find tiny places to start that will eventually build to uh, larger influencers. Thank you. Oh, that is amazing. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm making some notes over here at the little ways to experiment and challenging myself, just little ways, just building a little bit at a time, not trying to build the whole pyramids in one day, but just a little bit at a time and experimenting with that. Uh, that's insightful. Thank you, Michael. How might our listeners be able to find out more about you or links or places they can uh, connect with you? Sure. Well, they can, they can certainly check out our website. It's arcintegrated.com, arcintegrated.com. And uh, if they'd like, we'd be happy to offer a free leadership consultation. So for those that, if any of this information stood out to you and you'd like to talk about you know, how can we improve leadership in our organization or how can we improve organizational culture? We'll do an hour consult for free and, and help give, you know, some resources, answer questions, talk about strategies. And I can provide that link, Matt, drop it in the show notes if you'd like. Certainly. We certainly will. Michael, this has been insightful. It's been really fun. And we've had some very real and deep and, and challenging discussions. So I appreciate everything you brought to the table today. You too, brother. Yeah. Always a pleasure and look forward to our next visit. Love you, man. Thanks so much for coming on.
Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.